Lord. We want to continue with that now with a time of teaching as we continue in the study of the book of Acts. We're specifically in chapter 10 starting in verse 9 and we're going to be talking about freedom, this freedom from the restriction and bondage of religion. And I want to kind of spark your, your minds thinking of it this way. I shared with you before that when Amanda and I got married, we loaded up everything we had in a 26-foot U-Haul, and off we go 20 hours away to a place where we knew absolutely nobody or anything about the culture. If you've ever been to South Texas, you can see where Texas kind of comes to a close there at Brownsville, and then Mexico begins. Harlingen was only about 15 minutes from that area. We moved down to this Hispanic culture where we were treated so well over the two years we were there, and it was in, in this place where we had done some research, found us a great place to live. If you don't know anything about South Texas, this time of year is not when you want to be there. It's about 115 degrees right now. But during the wintertime, it is absolutely incredible. 80 degrees every day, palm trees, sun. It was awesome. It was in South Texas. We had our first baby, and she was really hairy and had long teeth. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what happened there, but, but we didn't have Lizzie, our first child. We had our first baby. Dixie was our first. We rescued her, and and Dixie was a great dog, and Amanda and I both were working. I was working six days a week initially. Amanda was a, a retail manager, and between her really odd schedule and my really odd schedule, uh, believe it or not, as a new, newlywed couple, we didn't spend a lot of time together on the front end. It, it was really stretched and strained. And so what we loved to do when we were both there at the same time was we would take Dixie out for walks. And down here in the bottom right, this, this was a, an enfenced or enclosed area for children. It was a little playground area. But just on the top side of that was this massively long field and a big irrigation channel, and, and we would get out there and start to walk her, and Dixie was a dog that would walk you. I don't know if y'all ever had one of those. Like, you would have her on the leash. She did not walk with you. She walked you, like pulled you. And so we would get out in that big open field because there was no traffic, and I would remove the bondage of that lease. Y'all, I'm just telling you, you can't imagine how this dog would run. It, it wasn't just running. It was this wide open, dead out sprint. I mean, and just... And we would be kind of standing there, and at some point you would wonder, well, I wonder if she's going to come back. I mean, because she, I mean, when I say just full speed, it was though she was chasing something and there was nothing to chase. I mean, she was just gone. She'd come back and her tongue was hanging out about this far, which means it was on the ground, you know, because her legs were only about that tall. And so she would eventually come back. But I mean, that thing, when you released the bondage of that leash, she was just breaking free and running as hard as she could. And here's why I share that, because we're going to talk about a vision that Peter had that, that's not really misunderstood, but I don't think the wholeness or the fullness of it is actually understood. Because in this vision that Peter is given in the text we're going to be studying today, what we discover is this simple thought, that believers have been freed from the bondage of religion. Please hear me. We do carry out religious practice, but it is not the religious practice that is to be our focus. That is to be the overflow of our hearts and our relationship with Jesus. So what we do religiously should simply be a reflection of Jesus, not our way of somehow honoring Him. We, we, we cannot do anything where God is going to say, oh, you are so awesome and so great, keeping in mind that the example we're compared against is Jesus leaving heaven and dying on a cross. So what are you going to do that's going to compare to that? Zero. 
And so it's not the practice of religion that God is interested in. He's interested in our religion coming out of our relationship. And so this morning, we want to talk about this idea that we are free. And I want you to truly experience freedom. And we're, we're going to ask some questions towards the end of our study this morning to really help us process that. Are we doing Sunday morning stuff because this is about relating to Jesus and coming here to be in His presence? Are we doing Sunday morning stuff because that's what Southern Baptist churches are supposed to do? Why are we here this morning? Why do you do what you do during the week? Why do you claim to be a Christian? Why do you have a copy of the Bible? Why do you do those things? And again, what we're trying to determine is what we're doing real or is it religiosity? That's a real word, by the way. It's just the practice of religion. So this is where I want your mind focused this morning, and we're going to learn about it in the Scripture that we're going to be reading. So pray with me as we get ready to study. Father, we love you. We absolutely praise you for who you are. Lord, we, we invoke your presence. That's an invocation. We, we are just asking you to be here. And so, Father, I, I feel redundant almost because I think we've already invited you. I believe through all the songs that Shad has led and our people have sung, I, I think you already know that you're invited. But, Father, I, I don't want to miss this. I want you here. For, Father, we're about to study a text that we did not author and that, Father, it is written with infinite wisdom, and we are so limited in our knowledge and our understanding, and so we want to open up this book, and we need you here to help us to understand it, because we want to do it for your glory, not for ours. This is not about what we're about to receive. It's, it's what we're hopefully going to give through us having a fuller understanding of who you are and the role of religion and the role of relationship. So, Lord, give us your wisdom that we could grasp this, that we could understand it, but more so, more than anything else, that we could apply it in such a way that worship would continue in this place. That this is not just study. This is worship. This is us just reveling in the presence of our Creator and our Savior and our King. So, Father, receive this prayer because we pray it in trust and faith in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. So, study with me this morning as I start there, chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, okay, let me catch you up on who the they are real quick. This is where we left off last week. Remember, there are three different people we introduced, and these three different people, Aeneas, the first one who was crippled, uh, he was disabled, he would have been rejected by the Jewish faith. We introduced you to a woman, remember Tabitha, she would have been a second-class citizen within the Hebrew faith, the Hebrew realm. Uh, now that she had passed away in the, the previous story, now she's unclean, so you would have been rejected. And then we introduced Cornelius. He's the Roman soldier that we're going to continue talking about this morning. Cornelius was a Yahweh worshiper. We, we have no doubt that he believed in God. He was practicing the tenets of Judaism, yet he would have been rejected by that faith. Why? Because of his genealogy. Because of his genealogy, he would have been uncircumcised, and so even though he was a powerful man and known, he could not have joined the Jewish faith. So he practiced his faith privately. He could not have gone to the temple. He would have been hated by the Jews. And so what we saw were three different people that would have been rejected by religion. And so it's really ironic that after Luke introduces to us three people rejected by religion, then God himself, himself starts to break down religion. That's where this text picks up. And so the they that are coming are the faithful soldier to Cornelius, the two servants of Cornelius. And so they've been sent because Cornelius, here's this Yahweh worshiper. He has this vision. In this vision, he is told by God, hey, here's this dude named Peter. Peter's at this house in Joppa. Send for him. Because see, what Cornelius is about to find out is that in Jesus, there is freedom of relationship, not restriction of religion. Remember, he's been, he's been virtually excluded from the Jewish faith, even though he worships Yahweh. More so than what the Pharisees actually did. He's a Yahweh lover. They were a rules follower. 
And so you've got a difference here. You've got a religious group who should be loving God, but they don't because they rejected him. You've got Cornelius who loves God and just wants to, to know him more. And so Christ visits him in a vision and says, hey, go get this dude named Peter. Bring him back. Bring Peter here. He's going to do something with you and for you. And so it's the freedom that Peter's going to bring. Peter went up to pray on the roof at about noon. Your text may say the sixth hour. If you were to look at a clock, 6 a.m. is the start of the day for the Jewish people. At 9 a.m., you have the third hour. Noon is the sixth hour. 3 p.m. is the ninth hour, and so on. And so he's gone up at the sixth hour. He's gone up to the roof to pray because at noon was a designated praying time for the Jews. And so you would go up on top of the roof because it was cooler. Those Palestinian winds would would blow across the top of the roof, and so it would be cooler. Also, there was a a thought within Jewish thought and ideology that if you went up higher, you're closer to God, so your prayers, I guess, get heard better. They're closer to, they travel faster. So so the closer you get, because sky represents heaven, heaven represents from God. And so he's gone up to the, the roof. Now, notice something else happens while he's up there. He is actually going to pray. If I were to ask you, all of my, my, brilliant, my brilliant theologians in the room, what is the definition of prayer? Nobody answered because 500 of you can't talk at one time. But what is your definition for prayer? How would you tell somebody who, who is not a practicing Christian? How would you tell somebody who is a non-believer what prayer is? What, what would you say to them? Well, it's actually very simple. The word there is prosekame in Greek, and all it means is speak to God. But here's the part that we sometimes miss. It always implies hear from God. So so prayer is a two-way street, right? I speak, but I must make sure that I listen. How does God most often talk to us in Christianity? Through His Word. Remember, this is a book not about God. This is a book from God. So God typically speaks to us. So when I pray, one of the best ways to pray to the Lord is through the intake of His Word, because now I'm speaking, but I'm also listening. Now, the Lord can also speak to you in other ways. One is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If I'm sinning or going against Him, there is conviction. If I'm going through a door or down a path that God wants me on and I experience peace, believe it or not, that's God's communication to you as well. So God communicates in multiple ways, but the most common form is written Scripture. Peter would not have had the New Testament. Peter was responsible for part of the New Testament. So he's gone up to pray, and he's listening to the Lord, and the Lord is going to give him a very unique message in just a moment. Verse 10. He became hungry. And you go, well, yeah, because he went up on the roof at noon. In case you don't know, that's really not normal for a Jewish person. They have two major meals per day. About 9 o'clock or 10 in the morning, what you and I would call brunch. And and CFO has one of the best ones if you've ever had it. And so so brunch, well, they have a major meal at 9 to 10 a.m. They have another major meal from 3 to 4 p.m. and something very light in the evening. They, They don't have what they would call a meal in the evening. So you've got... A 9 to 10, a 3 to 4, and a light something in the evening. This is noon. So, so all of a sudden, we realized Peter was Southern Baptist all along. I mean, we just can't help it, right? It's noon, and it's time to eat something. You know, my wife will tell you I don't eat based on hunger. I eat based on time. I get hungry at time, you know. So, so again, he, he gets hungry, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. Okay, I need you to understand what this trance is. Uh, Ecstasis is the word. It's kind of where we get the English word ecstasy. Ecstasy is about pleasure. This is not about pleasure. Ecstasis, the root word here, the basic word, literally means a mystic transcendence. Okay, so now that you got all that, we're going to move on, right? All right, what is a mystic transcendence? Okay, so let's explain what he's having. A mystic. Mystic means it is mysterious. It is not explainable by normal phenomenon. 
So he is having something that is supernatural. Peter would have understood what is taking place with him is not normal. It is beyond him. It is supernatural. Transcendence. What does transcendent mean? It means to come out of or go beyond yourself. So, so if you've never heard this taught, it's okay. Just hang on. It is very possible by the way this is written in the Greek that as Peter is having this vision, he's not only having the vision, he's actually transcended himself, and he's watching him have the vision. That's kind of weird. Um, but, but this is how it's actually written in the original. He's having a mystic transcendence. So there's something very mysterious, something that cannot be explained by the natural, so it's supernatural, and it's transcendent, means it, it's outside of himself. So it's very possible he is witnessing this trance-like state from outside his body. So he's kind of watching himself have this vision. You know, I would be saying, man, say something. You know, say, 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 say thank you. I mean, like I'd be giving myself notes, but I don't think it's going to work in this case. And so he's having this ecstasis. He saw heaven opened. Okay, so let me explain that real quick. Because you have to understand it from a Jewish perspective. The Jews viewed heaven as being the place where God is. So heaven, the first level of heaven is the atmosphere. So that's where the the blue goes to black, the atmosphere. Then you've got where all the stars, moon, and all that is located. That's the second heaven. And then the third heaven is where God is. And so when you read something in the New Testament that is about a Jewish Christian and they say it's from heaven, it doesn't mean it's just from up there. It means it's from God. This is not just any message, this is a God message. And the word anigo, opened up, doesn't simply mean opened up, it means to speak or to tell truth. So so here's what this means. He's having this vision that is supernatural, it's outside of himself. he's, He's viewing this, it is from God, and God actually is going to speak or to tell truth. So it's not just something he sees, he's going to get a verbal message in the middle of it. So, so there's a lesson in the vision. And believe it or not, that's exactly what Luke records for us in just a minute. So he saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down. Uh, the word sheet is not sheet like you and I think of a bed sheet. It, it's othani. It means a sail, like off of a sailboat. Now, now to clarify, keep in mind, this was long before the British Empire and those massive battle sailing vessels. I mean, those incredible ships they had. If you remember, if you've ever seen pictures of the little Jewish fishermen ships, their sails were probably about the size of a king-size bed sheet. I mean, they they weren't large sails, but the word used here is sail. So, So this sail from a boat that he would have recognized is coming down from heaven, and obviously it is from God, and there's going to be a teaching moment. It is being lowered by its four corners to the earth. Man, listen, this is so hard to grasp in English. Um, the word corner does mean corner, but it's so much bigger than that. It's the word arhi. Arhi means first cause or beginning. So, so get this. Peter is a practicing Jew. He knows Levitical law. You're going to see evidence of that in just a minute. Those of you who were with me when we were studying through the, uh, the book of Leviticus, I mean, boy, I mean, there was just rule after rule, prohibition, prescription, restriction. I mean, it, it is all these things that were given to the Jews to help them look differently than everybody else around them. It wasn't about following these that made them right. It was their heart change that made them right. And here's how we know your heart's right, because you're going to keep all these things. And so here's the deal. The Jews believed, unfortunately, that, that God and law were virtually the same thing. In fact, they so worshipped the law at one point that 
they forgot about the God it was to point to. They just felt like if I keep the law, I don't have to worry about my heart. If I'm keeping the law, it doesn't matter who I'm really like on the inside. I'm doing good because as long as I keep the law, I'm good. And so understand, the Levitical law for the Jews was everything. Here's where our he comes in. God is going to speak something about Levitical law, especially the dietary restrictions, but here's the part that is so prominent for me and you, because I'm not a practicing Jew, nor are any of you, more than likely. The fact that it had four corners, meaning our he, it means it goes to the first cause, or the beginning of mankind. So what God is saying by using the picture of four corners is this law that I'm about to give you, it trumps everything, meaning it precedes Levitical law. It goes back to Adam and Eve. So what I'm about to give to you covers all of mankind. This is not a Jewish revelation. This is a mankind revelation. So what I'm about to tell you, Peter, trumps anything else that you know. It is a higher priority than even Levitical law because it goes all the way back to the first cause. What was the first cause? Adam and Eve. That's the first cause of mankind. This rule goes all the way back to them. So anything else that comes after that, this nullifies it. So if you've ever wondered why we as Christians don't follow Jewish dietary law, it's because God removed them. God removed He said this cause, this first cause, this beginning, goes back to the original creation, nothing else in between. And so this is the one that trumps everything else. In case you don't know, Paul did the same thing later with stuff like the Sabbaths and the Holy Days and the religious festivals. Paul said we're no longer bound by those. We no longer follow those as Christ followers. We've been freed from the bondage of religion. Because again, people got trapped into thinking, as long as I follow the rules, me and God are okay. That's not the case. You can show up to church every Sunday morning and still bust hell wide open when judgment day comes. Because it's not about simple practice, it's about who we are internally. And and so again, it's this idea of this is going to go back and this is now the new rule. This trumps everything else. Also, four corners, in case you don't know, that's also a reference to the the globe, four corners of the globe, four corners of the world. So again, here's what's being communicated to Peter. What I'm giving you is not Jewish. What I'm giving you is universal. What I'm giving you goes all the way back to the creation of man and woman. So this rule is for all people. And, And so he's giving him something that's very, very large here. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. If you remember from the Levitical laws, there were many, many animals. They were restricted from eating, and please hear me, there may have been some practical nature there, but the, the thrust of God restricting certain animals being eaten had to do with religion, not practical. A lot of those animals they were forbidden to eat were worshipped by other, other cultures. They were pagan gods, so to speak. And God said, here's the deal. You're going to be so different than them. You're going to be so set apart. You're going to worship just one God so obviously that you won't even digest or eat the foods that they worship. You're not going to even touch those animals. They're unclean to you. And, and so please understand me. When I tell you God removed something, In Peter's eyes, you're going to see just how big this was. This was a struggle for Peter. We're going to talk about struggle with religion and relationship. And so this is going to be a struggle for him. Listen to verse 13. So remember, it's a vision, but it comes with a teaching lesson. Here's the teaching lesson. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. All right, that that sounds actually very simplistic. I grew up in North Mississippi. We hunted everything. We ate everything. I love animals. They taste good. Sorry. Um... That was my culture. That was my world. That's not this word kill. That is not this word. It doesn't mean to hunt. It doesn't even mean to slay. It's the word theo. 
It means to sacrifice. What type of act is a sacrifice? It's an act of worship. And so here's what he's saying to Peter. I want you to get up. We're changing the rules. And I want you to sacrifice. And as you are worshiping to me, you are now free to eat these things. But here's what I want to remind you, Peter, because you are now receiving this provision, it should be an act of worship each time you do it. Why is it your family, and hopefully they do, if you don't, that's fine, but why is it your family prays over the food? Why is it we ask the blessing? Because we should be giving thanks. Here's what he told Peter. Every time you partake of this provision, worship. It's a sacrifice. Worship. I'm giving it unto you. Worship me. I'm freeing you from this restriction. I don't want the relationship to be about the restriction. I'm removing that bondage. I want you to relate to me. Worship me when you receive my gifts. But notice, Peter's a great practicing Jew. Notice his response. Now remember, y'all, Peter was the one all the way through the New Testament, opening mouth, inserting foot. Here he is. Jesus is now in heaven. Peter hasn't changed a ton. Verse 14, No, Lord, Peter said. Now remember, he knows who the vision's coming from. He knows this is God dealing with him. He knows this is God talking to him. And God tells him to do something that violates the rules. Now remember who wrote the rules to start with, right? God. But Peter's a rule follower. Listen, I I love this about Peter. Peter was a rule follower. Lord, there is a rule. How did... No! And, And yours should have an exclamation point there because literally in the Greek it means no indeed. Like no and absolutely not no. I mean, it is not going to happen. Peter is not going to do what he's just been told to do, don't forget, by God. For I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Now remember, Peter himself knows this is coming from God. He even responds with Lord, Master, Owner, Commander. He responds with the appropriate term. He knows the source of the message. There's no confusion here, yet he is so bound by religion, he's missing the one religion is to point to. Pharisees did this better than anybody. Verse 15, again, a second time. I love the way Luke writes. Um, Luke being a doctor, is that's almost put in there sarcastically. Like, again, a second time. Uh, parents, I know y'all have never had to repeat to your children the same thing twice, right? Th- this is, he's emphasizing Peter again. A second time, so so this is God speaking as the dad here. What God has made clean, that's a very special word in the Greek, uh, katharizo. It means to literally make spiritually pure. So, So here's what happened. Unclean because of Levitical law, because I want you to be separate and not look like anybody around you. Yet now, Christians are coming from all walks of life. It's just not one group of people, not one race. It's from all over the world because what I'm giving you now predates Levitical law. And it's about relationship, not about restriction or prohibition. And so here's what I want you to do. Understand, I've made this clean. God's saying, I've made this clean now. Peter, this is not on you. This is not about rules. This is not about Pharisees, Sadducees, or scribes. This is about God saying, I have made this pure. I have made this right. I have made this holy. What God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times. Now now notice, it doesn't say Peter rejected three times, but the message happened three times. Why? Because three is the number of what? The number of certainty. Jesus was dead how many days? Three. Jonah was swallowed how many days? It's the number of certainty. 
So, so what's being communicated by voicing it three times is this. God was absolutely certain. He wasn't just having a, a, a moment where he forgot. God was absolutely certain. No, Peter, I'm removing a lot of religious restriction. We're not going to jump through those hoops anymore. I want you to be different in your person. And now you'll have the power because my son has died, provided salvation to those who will believe, and his spirit has already come. Now you can be different without keeping all the rules. Now you can be different internally. But notice, church, don't miss this. Peter had a struggle with that. Why? Because he was so bound to the rules. He, he was almost equating the rules with obedience to God. Like, like, it's more important for me to keep this, even though you are telling me this personally. Well, let me give you a, what I think is a more abnormal example of that. There's a newspaper in California called the San Jose Mercury News. Anybody ever heard of the San Jose Mercury News? Here's why it's cool. Yeah, Phil, you've heard of it. Here's the coolest place in the entire newspaper. It's called Articles of the Weird, or News of the Weird, and it is weird. Let me tell you, it's great. If you pull that up, it still exists to this day. But they tell a story about an atheist church. Now, now y'all, y'all heard that, right? Atheist church, all right? Atheist, ah, the letter A means not. Theist means like a belief in a deity. So, no belief in God, atheist church. Church is a scriptural term, in case y'all don't know. Ecclesia means the body. It's the body of Christ. It's the church. So, so y'all do see the oxymoron here, right? Atheist church. That does not go hand in hand. But there is a such thing in Washington, D.C. And the guy who kind of heads it up is this guy named James Kelly. And so the San Jose Mercury News went and interviewed Mr. James Kelly. And they said, uh, Mr. Kelly, uh, we, we do this column called you know, News of the Weird. We think it's weird that you have an atheist church. Mr. Kelly didn't think it was weird at all. He said he didn't see the problem whatsoever, and he went on to explain. So, so listen to me. We're talking about freedom from religion or religion almost interfering with the relationship with God. This is an Episcopalian church. Now, please hear me. The, the official denomination of Episcopalianism, they do not affirm this church. The only reason they call themselves Episcopalians is because that's who they bought the church from. So, so, the, so they considered themselves, literally, they've got a title, Atheistic Episcopalians. I, again, Oxymoron stuff here, right? All right, but here's the stuff that he told. He said, we love the burning of the incense. Now, y'all remember, y'all remember when the one-time offering was made once a year by the high priest? He would come back and he would make the offering for all the sins of Israel. And before he did that, the first thing he did was burn incense, so it created a cloud, so his presence was not immediately in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Or what happened if he didn't? <laughs> Drop dead. Well, they tied a rope around him so they could drag him out. And so he burnt the incense. It wasn't just about the smell. It was this cloud of protection. Well, they liked the smell. He said, I love the, I love the smell, the burning of the incense. And so every morning they have a priest, a priest who doesn't believe in God. So, so get this. So, so atheist priest. Again, I'm, I'm really confused. So they have a priest who walks down the aisles every morning, and, and he, he swings the chamber, and, and the incense burns. He says, I love the smell of the burning of the incense. He said, I love the vestments. You know what vestments are? You know, that's the dressing up of the priest. He said, I love, I love the, the colors and well, just the uniqueness of, of his outfits. I love the vestments. Boy, I just, love, I just, I just, feel, oh, just, I just feel so warm inside because of the vestments. He said, but the thing I love the most, no kidding, the thing he loves the most is the stained glass. Now, y'all, this is an old Episcopalian church. Did you know that the stained glass, every one of those is a picture of something in the Scriptures, a book they don't believe in? But he loves them. He says, I just get so emotional. I get the warm fuzzies every time I see them. The pipe organ music. Listen, they play hymns. 
They play hymns who all point to a God that nobody sitting in that building believes in. Yet they, they on the outsides, so let's take it you showed up in D.C. one Sunday and you're a Christ follower and you don't know this is an atheistic church and you walk in, it may look a little different than what we do because it's a little more liturgical because you've got the incense and the, the robe and the vestments and you've got the stained glass and they're singing old hymns. What would you actually think if you didn't know they were atheistic? You would think these people are worshiping God. Yet they would be the first to tell you, we don't even believe in God. He said, why should I give up all these things that we love just because I don't believe in God? Did you hear what he just said? Why should I give up religion just because I don't believe in God? Y'all do understand, when judgment day comes, and it will come, your religion will not save you. Your religion not, will not count in your favor whatsoever. The only thing that will save you will be a personal, faith-based relationship with one individual and his name is Jesus. That's it. That, that is all that will carry over into eternal life. That is all that will lead or yield reward. And so here, here's my challenge to us. Because we've gathered. Why? Because we're practicing religion, are we not? Are we not practicing religion? Shake your head, yes. We're, this is religious. But I don't want it to be simply religious. And so here's my challenge to us this morning. We want to determine whether it's religiosity or whether it's real. Because I don't want us to ever do anything because it's tradition, just for tradition's sake. I don't want us to do anything just because it's an expected aspect or component of religion. I want us to make sure that everything we do, every time we gather here, is real. And that it's centered upon the very person of Christ Jesus. How do we do this? How do we guarantee it? By asking the tough questions. Is the practice that we are practicing, did it originate in Scripture? Is corporate worship seen and demanded in Scripture? Shake your head. Yes, it is. There was this Roman governor named Pliny, and Pliny was really curious to see if Christianity and Judaism were the same thing. So he sent a spy. Go figure, a spy, an unbeliever, went to a Christian worship service. Y'all know that never happens now, right? But an unbeliever went to a Christian worship service to figure out what it was that they did so he could write back to his governor. Did you know we still possess that letter? It is still in existence today. And here's what this spy told Pliny the governor. He said, I showed up. He said, there was, there was lots of talking and greeting. They were Southern Baptists. Y'all know it. So, so they're, just, they're just hanging out. and felt He said, then they started singing Hymns, psalms, and praise songs. This is coming from an unbeliever. Hymns, songs, and praise. He knew they were religious songs, and he probably didn't know the meaning of any of them, but he knew they were religious songs. He said they prayed. And he said they, they, they called upon this name of Jesus. Now, for that governor, this is not going to be good because he knows the Jews don't worship Jesus, so this is when persecution is going to start, not long after that letter. And so he writes back and says they, vo they said these prayers to this, this name of Jesus. And then there were different people who, who, who taught what Jesus taught. They just repeated the teachings of Jesus. Y'all do know that's what Scripture is, right? Jesus says, disciple, make disciples. How? Teach them the things I've taught you. So, so that's what the early worship services looked like. They did almsgiving. You know what that is, right? Collections for the poor. They, they did almsgiving. This is all in the letter. So if you wondered why church services kind of look like church services do, it goes all the way back to the first century. It goes all the way back to the first century. So this practice that we're doing, this is scriptural. But I want to make sure you come here for the right reasons. You coming to church does not buy you admission into heaven. 
You coming to church does not make you right with God. You come to church because you're seeking to be in His presence and worship Him in power with a corporate body. That's what's prescribed in Scripture, so that's what we try to advocate here. You'll never hear me teach if you miss a service. Oh, you know. Got to be careful here. I grew up hearing this. A good Baptist is there every time the doors are open. That is not scriptural. A good Christ follower worships every opportunity they get. And you may not have an opportunity some Sundays. Y'all listen, I, I worked in law enforcement. Ten and a half years, I missed many Sundays while I was out providing protection for many other people. Many of you will miss Sundays. It doesn't mean it's a sin. What it means is it shouldn't become your habit. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Don't make it your habit to miss this daily gathering, this weekly gathering. And so again, it should originate in Scripture. Secondly, the things that we do should help reach people. Why is it you think that we had a speaker on Thursday night that talked about whitetail bucks? You do know that's not all he spoke of, right? He shared the gospel very clearly and very plainly and his personal testimony, but what did he talk about first? Exactly what we told people he's going to talk about. Patterning whitetail bucks in the Ozark Mountains. He's a PhD. He's an expert on what he said. He's excellent. But we use those types of tools to make sure that we're reaching people in every possible way that we can. That's why we do these things. Is what we do because it makes people comfortable? Or is what we do because it pleases God? That should be something you should always ask. Lord, in my relationship to you, am I desiring this because this makes my life easier and more comfortable? Or am I desiring this because I really believe this is what you want for me? And so again, these are the questions we have to ask. Does it break down barriers or increase barriers? Is it sacred to God or is it sacred to man? I, I had an individual follow me all the way across a Walmart parking lot, all the way to the front doors, just letting me have it because our church had conducted the Lord's Supper in our fellowship hall as a meal. And she told me and made sure that I understood that I was sending people to hell and probably going there myself because we didn't have deacons and coat and ties pass around little metal plates because if you don't do that, then the Lord's Supper doesn't count. I said the same thing, but probably not as nice as you did. Y'all do understand, what may be sacred to you may mean nothing to God. What matters to the Lord is what's sacred to Him. And where do we find it? We find it in Scripture. Listen, tradition in itself is not bad as long as we don't elevate tradition over man. God made man above tradition. And God Himself is above both. And so we cannot elevate tradition to the status of God. Number two, by being able to accept the truth, and this is hard sometimes when, when I've watched it done. But see, I, I had the unique experience in life of watching a church go from one thing to another thing and it never changed people. Y'all, I grew up in a church as a kid where the people in that community who mostly were farmers would show up in their overalls and they would just worship the Lord and there was hallelujahs and praise and hand raising and clap and there was tears at the altar praying for lost people. I watched that same church in about a 10-year period swing to three-piece suits and if you didn't have one, you were not dressed properly and you would be told so to sitting on your hands, never smiling, never expressively praising God. Same church, same people. I watched that all because of tradition and some things that were going on in culture. Here's the thing. Sub-practices not, are not founded on the principles of Scripture. We need to make sure that what we're doing is not about tradition or pleasing man, but it's about pleasing God. And, and so we, we try to break down barriers here. 
Um, if you see me wearing a three-piece suit, I'm either burying you or marrying somebody that you're related to. That's just kind of the way it works. And here's why. I'm sweating now, and that's wearing a golf shirt, so I'm not going to wear more stuff to stink up. I'm mean, just not going to do it. And it's not a right or wrong. That's the whole issue we've got to get to. It's not a right or wrong. You know, th- there's this idea of not elevating tradition. Number two, much that we do is based on tradition, not Scripture. We must adjust our methods to reach our culture. Um, again, here's the thought. Our culture is not what we want to look like. We want to look like what Scripture says Jesus is like, yet we cannot ignore culture and act like it doesn't exist. We can't ignore it. Y'all listen, we do back-to-school bash. Why? Because there is poverty in eastern Taney County. That is our culture. In case you don't know, that is the culture of Easton Tainer County. It is defined third poorest county in the entire state. Third poorest financial county in the entire state. Third. There's several counties in Missouri. We're third when it comes to poverty. We don't do back-to-school bash just because we're church. We do back-to-school bash and offer these school supplies because we recognize culture. We don't want to necessarily model everything culture does, but we have to be aware of what culture is. We can't ignore it. This is a large deer hunting population in this area. Why do you think we had a PhD concerning deer hunting here? Man, we're not here to glorify deer hunting. We're here to take a guy who absolutely loves God's creation, and because of all of his studies, he can give you very factual scientific data and at the same time tie into his message how this all exists because there's a creator God named God. And he's got a son named Jesus. In fact, he, he virtually refuted the whole of evolution. I wish he could have been here. He did all that in about an hour. It was pretty impressive. And so that's why we do these things. We're just aware of our culture. And number three, finally, we're about to get out of here, so just hang on. And this is specifically about you. By becoming more authentic ourselves. By trying to gravitate away from practicing religion and being a real Christ follower. People seek what is real. People seek what is real. Do you know what will bring people to our church? It is not the nicest building. It is not the best worship and praise team. It is not simply the teaching of the Word. You know what's going to bring people to our church? Real Christians in our church acting like real Christians outside our church. That's what will bring people to this church. Real Christians inside our church acting like real Christians outside our church. Because you know what the world is actually seeking? They're not seeking simply convenience and all the things that our culture promises. They're seeking what's real. They really are. Listen, every study that we study right now, everything that I look at when you talk about generational study, and believe it or not, I'm the next to oldest generation now. That is not so happy. So, so there, there's a generation above mine, and then mine, and then there's lots of generations coming. You know what defines the generations behind me? Especially about two generations back and younger. You know what they desire more than anything else? It is not social media. You might think that 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 is not it. It is not technology. That's all they know. They've had it their whole life. They simply want to know what's real because they've been so inundated with information. Keep in mind, you've got a generation coming that does not know what www. They don't understand life before that. Their whole life is Google. They know everything. Because there's information that's been given to them in volumes. But here's what they want to know. Out of all that information, what is real? Like, what is really truth? That's what they're hungry for. It. And so here's what's going to draw them. Not you simply giving them more information, but you being real when you walk out these doors. That's what's going to draw them. 
Because that's what they're actually seeking. They're looking for the stability of, of truth. That's what they want. And so, finally at the end, this is where I want us to be sure we understand we are. We want to avoid religious barriers. Religion's not bad. Religion is our practice of who we're becoming. But we don't want our religion to ever be a barrier to somebody else. So, so we don't require specific clothing here. I will, I will clarify for you real quickly. If it's immodest or inappropriate, we will address you. Uh, had it happen in our foyer about two, week, about two months ago, actually. I had to address a young man, and there were some behaviors and some dress issues. And, uh, so, so if it's immodest, and it's going to be distracting, yet, yes, we will have to approach that. But you do understand, modesty is the only dress code you'll find in Scripture. And, and so we, we will address those things, but we, we won't put up a specific type. Like, you don't have to wear this, you don't have to wear that. Listen, um, Dave Wilson, y'all know Dave Will. Dave's a personal friend. Dave wears overalls every Sunday. And there's not a deeper Bible scholar that was in this church than Dave Wilson. And, and so it, it's welcome. It's welcome. Podiums. I don't use podiums. Podiums are not bad. I just don't like barriers. Um, plus the fact I trip over them a lot because you see I stand so still when I talk. And, and so I don't like them. Um, some podiums, I had somebody get onto me once because I had removed the sacred desk. No kidding, that was the terminology used. And I was being criticized because I had removed the sacred desk from the church. And I had never preached behind it, not once, not one time. Three years in. And, and so, again, we just don't, we don't worship religion. We don't use religious terminology. We just talk... We're, Y'all, listen, I'm Justin. I tell my students at CFO the same thing. Hey, on CFO grounds, I'm Dr. Gates because there's an expectation there. When you come to our church, I'm Justin. You'll hear my people call me that. It's not doctor this. It's not high potentate, whatever that. It, it is it's Justin. Why? Because there shouldn't be barriers with any of us. We should be able to relate and focus on our experience, not our religion. And so a couple questions and we're out of here. here. Here's the first one. Are you the real deal? That's the first one. We can't go to number two until we get to this one. Are you sure that you're the real deal? Are you sure that you're not simply practicing religion? That at some point in your life, you raised your hand, you walked an aisle, you got dunked in some water, some people hugged you, kissed you, whatever it is, are you sure you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ? This morning, here's what I'm convinced of. This morning, every one of you are here on purpose. God brought you here to hear this. I don't know why, but here's, here's the reasoning you're here. God wanted you to hear this. If this morning you're seated here and, and you would look at me and if it was just me and you in private and you would say, Justin, I really don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure, honestly. I'm really not sure. I don't know that I really follow Jesus. I, I do believe in Him, but I don't know that my life is under Him. I don't know that I even process that way but I wish you could tell me more about that. Good news, I can. Now, I'm not going to do it in this setting. Too many people, and we're too short on time. But here's what can happen if you'll allow it to today. If that is you, I just defined you today. Justin, I just, I just don't know. I'm not sure, but I want more information. Can you help me? Yes. I'm going to have all of you stand up and pray in just a minute. And when everybody is praying, here's what I'm going to ask you to do if that is you. Walk right over here to my left. There are going to be some people there just waiting for you. And all they want to do is take you to a place that's more private, back in our fellowship hall, and they're going to sit down with you with some material, and they're going to walk you through this book we call the Bible. They're going to walk you through the Scriptures to say, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Here are the clear indicators. Here are, 
Here are the things that are required. And so then you can be guaranteed when you leave here today, at least you understand that. You may not make a commitment today, and they're not going to pressure you. You're not going to sign anything. You're not going to be asked to give anything. They simply want to sit down with you just like I want them to do, just like Pastor Jeff trained them to do. They're going to sit down with you and say, hey, when you leave here today, tell me you understand this. Great. And if I can help you any further, let us know. That's all we're asking. But there's also a second group here, and here's my second question today. Would God be the one who would testify on your behalf that you are real? Because see, some of you are like, Justin, I took care of that. I don't need to walk over there. I've handled that. I've been that for years. And so here's my question for you. If you're in that group, because I'm, I'm in that group. I, I did that when I was nine. But here's the question I have for that group. Would God testify on your behalf that you're real? You do understand it's going to come down to his testimony. Because you will stand in front of him. And he's going to open up a second book. The Bible calls it the other book, the book of life. And it's going to be Jesus himself who testifies one way or the other, whether you're in. Would God himself testify that you're in? And if not, really process that today. Why are you here? Why do we claim to be Christians? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we pray? Why do we do the things we do? Is it religiosity or is it 